Turn back with me now, if you will, to James chapter 2. Several weeks ago, I was driving and I was going to get some breakfast and uh, I went to Cracker Barrel. Can I have an amen? All right. And uh, I did not eat quiche. I ate pancakes. But as I was driving, it just kind of dawned on me that when I was younger, I had more friends then than I do now. And I've heard people talk about that, that the older you get, the fewer friends that you have. Number one, the older you get, you have to work. And after you work for a long time, uh, it doesn't mean that you're not friendly with the people around you, but it does mean that you're focused on work. You know, when you're a child and you're younger, you don't have a lot of responsibility normally, and you have a lot of times to build friendships and all that. But then also, as you get a little bit older, guess what? Some of your friends move away. Some of them move on to heaven. And the older you get, a lot of times, the more isolated you may feel. And I think especially during the pandemic, a lot of people have felt that kind of loneliness, uh, you know, not having friends or whatever. But I'm telling you, as clear as I'm talking to you now, the Spirit of God spoke into my heart and said, you know, it really doesn't matter that much how many friendships we have this way when we've got a friend in God. I want to say this to you. Regardless of how many friends you do or don't have on this earth, if you know Jesus Christ, the Bible says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That friend, I believe, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is not only your Savior, but he is your friend. Abraham saw God as a friend. Do you see God as a friend? A lot of people see God as a taskmaster or somebody who is a Lord, and he is Lord. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. But sometimes we fear him so much that we tremble in his presence and we don't realize that he is our loving, heavenly Father, and he is our friend. I want you to think with me today about that as we look at this text. Could we read it one more time? It's just two verses. Can we read it together? Let's do that off of the screen if that's okay. James chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Read it with me, please. You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Now, why was he called the friend of God? And how can you and I be friends of God. And what does that look like? Well, first of all, God's friends are called. C-A-L-L-E-D, called. What we're going to do is go back to Genesis 12 where Abraham was called. And we're going to walk from the left to the right. And uh, we're going to look and see at several things in Abraham's life that show us why he was referred to as the friend of God. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, same man, different spelling. Later on, God changed his name to Abraham. 
Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. There comes a time when you have to leave mom and dad, you have to leave all those roots and you have to go make your own life. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old. Some of you guys think, well, I'm old and God can't do anything in my life. Man, he was 75 and it was all just starting to happen in his life. God can do anything with anybody he wants to, any way he wants to, any time he wants to. And God can work in your life as well, no matter how old or young you are. Abram was 75 years old when he had departed from Haran. In these verses, God chooses Abram to be his special servant. He called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, located on the Euphrates River. It's in modern-day Iraq. And back in Genesis 11, verses 30, uh, 31 and 32, it says that Abram had already left Ur, and he started a journey westward toward Canaan, and he was traveling toward Canaan when his father, Terah, and he died. He was with his wife also, Sarai, who would later be called Sarah, and his nephew, Lot, who would get into a lot of trouble. But when his daddy died, he was 250 miles away from the promised land. He had journeyed toward the promised land, but he had not hit the promised land. I want to say this to you. Keep on the journey. Don't stop, even when bad things happen. So, 250 miles away from his destination, and God comes to him and calls him in a fresh way in Genesis 12. It's a seven-fold blessing mixed up in a call. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. There's just one of you now, but you're going to be a nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And it worked. We're still talking about him. Amen? Amen. You shall be a blessing. One of the reasons God blesses any of us is so that we can be a blessing to other people. And then he says, I will bless those who bless you. And then he says, I will curse those who curse you. The descendants of Abraham that lead up to Jesus are the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And that's why I have said for years, many times in the Bible, it says concerning the followers, uh, the, the people who followed in Abraham's line, all of his descendants, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. I know that there is turmoil even now going on in Jerusalem and in Israel. But let me tell you something. When it all falls down, I'm on Israel's side because I don't want to be cursed by God. I want to be blessed by God. And then he says, the last thing, number seven, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. What's he talking about? Eventually, the Christ, the anointed one, Jesus would come from the lineage of Abraham all the way through David, and he is the one who blesses anyone who repents of their sins and believes savingly in 
Christ. Abraham was the friend of God because he was called by God. You say, well, Brother Steve, that's great, but what's that got to do with me? You are called of God if you're a Christian. You say, no, I called on God. You called on God because God called on you. You can't get saved unless God takes the initiative. You can't get saved unless God convicts you of your sin and convicts you that your righteousness is not sufficient and convicts you that you are going to face judgment if you don't come to the Lord. And so you are a Christian because not just you loved him, but he loved you first and gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God has called you. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans for welfare, not for calamity. I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to give you a hope. I want you to be saved. I want you to know me. I'm calling you. God's calling somebody today. He's saying to you, you need to be saved. You need to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Before you leave this building, you need to take care of that. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You can come to repentance today, and you don't have to perish. You don't have to waste your life on this earth, and you don't have to spend eternity in hell. You can live for the Lord Jesus Christ and come to him, and you can be called of Almighty God. You can be a friend of God, called by God. Secondly, God's friends are not only called, they are also worshipers. As soon as God called Abraham, he started on that last 250-mile ride as he was on his camel, and, and he was working and walking and going. And the Bible says that he started out toward Canaan. Genesis 12, verses 5 and following. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. That doesn't sound like a long trip. That's 250 miles a long way for them back then. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem. He goes about halfway through to the oak of Moray. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. I want to say this to you. Stop here just a minute. This is not a political statement, but Israel belongs to Israel. The land was given to them by God, even in the days of Abraham. To your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. God spoke to him and he worshiped God. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. Bethel is the house of God. And pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar. He just keeps on building these altars for worshiping God and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. That is the desert in the south. So he's going from the north to the south. And everywhere he goes, God speaks to him and he worships the Lord. And God blesses this man. God blesses this man. I just finished reading the Bible through. It took me about eight months since I last read the Bible through. I'm starting today to read this Bible through. I've preached out of this Bible for 23 years, but I've never read it all the way through, and I'm going to read it through. I showed my Bible yesterday to somebody, and I said, what color is that Bible? They said, it's black. I said, no, it's red. I read it through, all the way through, all right? So... I say that simply to say 
that in the last book of the Bible that I read just this past week, I read something about worship in heaven. If you don't want to worship God and you're a Christian, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know if you can be a Christian and not want to worship God. But in heaven, I don't know all that we're going to do. I know that we're going to serve God, but we're going to worship God as well. Revelation 4, verses 8 and following. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, can you read it with me off the screen? Would you read that with me? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. You better get used to that. You're going to be saying that a lot in heaven. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. God's Friends, worship him. Do you worship the Lord? You say, well, I can't sing. I'm not just talking about singing in your heart. Is there a release in your spirit toward heaven, toward the Lord? Are you grateful for the Lord? Do you thank the Lord for his goodness? Do you praise him for his beauty and his majesty? Do you hear songs like, I'm a friend of God? And do you, does that resonate with you? I tell you, friends of God, worship the Lord. And then God's friends are also imperfect. I don't want to give you the idea that Abraham didn't have any flaws. He did. He was a sinful man saved by the grace of God. And he did a really bonehead thing one day. That's a Greek word. It means dumb. Genesis 12, look at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. Did he pray about that? No. He just thought, well, it's not good here. I'll just go somewhere where it's good. I want to tell you something. You can get in a lot of mess when you don't pray about things before you do them. It's a lot better to pray beforehand than to try to clean up the mess afterwards, all right? For the famine was severe in the land. He just said, well, there's a famine here. I'll go somewhere else. Maybe God wants to keep you in the famine. God can do that. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know that you're a beautiful woman. So far, so good, but it goes south after this. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. What's the problem here? The fear of man. The fear of man. Oh, the fear of man is not good. You need to fear God, not man. And the Bible says, please say that you're my sister so it will go well with me. I think he's thinking all about himself, not his sweet wife. Because of you and that I may live on account of you. I want to tell you something. Donna Gaines would have knocked me sideways if I'd said that. <laughs> and rightfully so. I could have used another word besides imperfect here, but I didn't. It came about when Abram 
came into Egypt. The Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her, praised her to Pharaoh. The woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen, donkeys, and male and female servants, female donkeys, camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what? is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away. Uh, I just imagine they did that pretty roughly too, with his wife and all that belonged to him. So without consulting with the Lord. He goes down and he gets in trouble and he shows everybody that he, like all of us, are sinners. I've heard people say this, God cannot use somebody who is a sinner to serve him. And I've heard this statement all my life, God cannot hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. That's all he's got is crooked sticks. So yeah, he can. God is God. And we're all sinners. And we're all crooked sticks, if you will. And yes, God wants us to repent. He's not proud of our sin. He will not tolerate our sin. He will deal with our sin. But once he forgives you, even though you're imperfect, you can still be a friend of God if you'll turn from your sin. Abraham turned from his sin. He repented. He was a friend of God, even though he was imperfect. And there's hope for all of us as well. God's friends are also gracious. There came a time when he had to have some grace. His nephew, Lot, had a lot of cattle, a lot of livestock, and so did Abraham. And the fields there were not plenteous with green grass, and so their servants were fighting over whose cattle would be able to feed where and all of that. So Abraham got tired of all of it. He took the initiative. He took the high road and said, look, you take whatever land you want. I'll go somewhere else, but we, our, our uh, livestock is too plenteous for us to dwell together. I'll go wherever you want you, wherever you want, you stay wherever you want, go wherever you want, I'll go somewhere else. He took the high road. He was gracious. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me. That's a peacemaker that God said, blessed are they, not between my, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers, is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, then I'll go to the right. If to the right, then I'll go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes. Now watch this. He's covetous. He saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it, it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. So he didn't know it. Lot thought he was getting a good deal, but when he got his green grass, 
There was a septic tank under it too. Called Lot, or called Sodom and Gomorrah. And we'll deal with that later. But God blessed Abraham for being gracious. Verse 14 says, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes, look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I will give to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth. I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent, came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. It would be in Hebron that he would eventually be buried, and so would his descendants. In time, Hebron was that place. God blessed Abraham for being gracious and humble toward Lot. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 11, whoever loves a, has, loves a pure heart and gracious speech will have the king as a friend. You're either selfish like Lot or you're gracious like Abraham. God doesn't bless selfish people. God blesses gracious people. God's friends are gracious because they've received the grace of God. Also now, God's friends are warriors. He was a fighter. I want you to see what happens in Genesis 14, beginning at verse 14, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive. What's going on here? I'll tell you in a moment. He let out his trained men, Abraham did, born in his house, 318, went in pursuit as far as Dan. That's as far as you get in the north in Israel. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods, also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions and also the women and the people. Lot selfishly, selected the fertile Jordan Valley. It soon turned into a battlefield. This is before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, five chapters later in chapter 19. Lot and the city's inhabitants were taken as prisoners, and Abraham, like a warrior that he was, went after them and got them back. I want to tell you, whether you realize it or not, Christian, we are in a war. We're in a war. We're in a cultural war. We're in a spiritual war. And you've got to have some strength in you. You can't be weak all the time. You've got to ask God to strengthen you in your inner man so that you can stand for righteousness in our corrupt society that is going south very quickly. I want to encourage you. Be a warrior. Fight by speaking the truth against the teachings of darkness. Stand up for the word of God. Stand up for the cause of Jesus Christ. Be a spiritual warrior, God's friends. Fight for righteousness. I'm not talking about being mean. I'm talking to be about being a servant of Christ, but fighting for truth. God's friends are warriors. Number six, God's friends are believers. They trust God. They believe in God. They have great faith. This is one of the premier statements. Genesis 15, verses one through six. Verse six, one of the most famous verses in all of the Old Testament. 
after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? Isn't that the way God, God gives you a promise and then you try to tell God how it's not going to work out? God gives you, he, he tells you he's going to do something. You say, yeah, but Lord, you, what, you, you don't understand. When you say that to God, he's just saying, no, you don't understand. I do understand. I already see what's happening. Don't worry about it. Don't fear, Abram. I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Oh, but oh, Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless? Don't, you forgot about that, Lord. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham said, since you have given me no offspring, one born to my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, aren't you glad that God is tender with us, by the way? I have to believe that sometimes he just goes, oh, man. Come on, come on, man. <laughs> then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. Abraham is like between 75 and 100 years old. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heaven. I want to say this to you. Quit looking around at what man can do and start looking to God what God can do. Get your focus, not this way all the time, but this way. That's why you pray. That's why you read the Word. That's why you look up instead of around all the time. You live, in, you live in a time where you just look around all the time, and you're looking at news all the time, and you're on your phone all the time, and you're connected with people all the time. You're going to go nuts. But if you'll get your eyes on Jesus, things will change you'll realize, okay, I'll look at that psalm, but I'm going to focus up here. Look toward the heavens. Count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. Here it is. Let's read verse 6. Read it with me. Everybody read it. Then he believed in the Lord, and he, God, that is God, reckoned it to him as righteousness. He trusted the promise of God, and God blessed him for believing the promise. You say, Brother Steve, I've got some big problems. Oh, those mountains you mean? I think I remember Jesus talking about our big problems, our mountains. He said, truly I say to you, this is Mark 11, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says, he's talking about prayer now, is going to happen, it will be granted him. We know he's talking about prayer because of verse 24. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you've received them and they will be granted you. When you start praying about your mountain, instead of worrying about your mountain, God moves your mountain. God does. Mountains are no big deal to God. He created the mountains, and the problem is no big deal to God. He can solve your problem. You say, oh, Brother Steve, I've got a really big problem. Look how big my problem I'm not trying to make fun of you. But you need to quit looking at how big your problem is and start looking to see how big God is. He's bigger than your problem, whatever it might be. Sickness, he's bigger than that. Problems in your family, he's bigger than that. Finances, he's bigger than that. Fear, 
Boy, there's a lot of people living in fear. I, I think there are spirits of fear that are coming on the people of God all the time like never before. You're either going to walk in fear or faith. You can't walk in both. It depends on who you're going to look at more. If you're going to look at your problem, you're going to walk in fear. If you're going to look at God who can solve your problem and can move your mountain, then you're going to walk in faith. This is real stuff. Hebrews 11:6. This is so good, you got to read it out loud. Here we go. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. God will reward you. If you'll, this is not works, by the way. This is just that God blesses you when you're hungry for him and when you cry out and when you pray, you might not see it immediately, but listen to me. Every prayer you pray goes to the throne of God. It's saved in golden bowls. It reverberates before God for all of eternity and God will answer your prayer in his time, in his way, and he will do a better job than you ever thought about asking for. God's friends are believers. God's friends are also prayers. Not a word, but I invented it, all right? Good. Look at Genesis 18. And what had happened was, the Bible says that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. God had come to Abram. The angel of the Lord, I believe that's the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ with two other angels came there and said, I, I'm going to go down and, and check out what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And if it's what I know it to be, I'm going to wipe it out. Well, Abram said, well, I got some folks down there that I want you to spare. And so he starts wrestling with God in prayer. One of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible, in my opinion, Genesis 18, 22 and following. Then the men turned away from there, that is the two angels, and they went towards Sodom while Abraham was speaking and standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall the judge of all the earth deal unjustly or will the judge of all all the earth not do right. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And by the way, I believe the only reason America is still standing is because there are, there is a remnant of righteous people here and they are still crying out to God. And without that remnant, this country would go under. A lot of people say, we don't want you conservative praying Christians. You know what? I believe Conservative, Bible-believing Christians are the only reason God has not taken this country off of the map. So let's be part of the, the solution, not the problem, all right? Let's be part of that remnant. I don't know what verse I was in. 17? No, 27? Oh, let's pick up at 26. Who cares? So the Lord said... If I find in Sodom 50 righteous, with, there it is, within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy 
the whole city because of five. And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. He said, he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. He said, I will not do it on account of 40. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it, destroy it on account of the 10. He thought, you know, surely Lot has led somebody to God down there. Surely it's not just Lot and his family. Surely he's got at least a few people that have believed. As soon as the Lord, that is, had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abram returned to his place. He literally wrestled with God. And the reason God sent those angels down there to rescue Lot was because of Abram's prayer. We read after the whole thing was destroyed in Genesis 19, 29, thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham, his prayers, and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. You have a lot to be thankful for if you've got somebody praying for you. There is no telling what God has saved you from because somebody's praying for you. And that's why we ought to pray for other people as well. God blesses our prayers. I'm praying for God to raise up an army of watchmen on a spiritual wall that will absolutely cry out to God day and night. The Bible says that in Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they will never keep silent. They're, these are prayer warriors he's talking about. You who remind the Lord, that's prayer, reminding the Lord of his promises. Take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest. I love that. Give God no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. I'm telling you, people who are friends of God spend time with God in prayer. Number eight, God's friends are obedient. Look very quickly at Genesis 22. Probably one of the most sacred texts in the Bible where Abraham is told, you take your son Isaac and offer him up as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. He's blessed him. Abraham is old, and yet Abraham obeyed. Genesis 22, 1 through 5. Now it came about after these things, God tested Abraham. How many of you know that God tests us? Does anybody know that? Yeah, we don't like it, but he does. And he said to him, Abraham, he said to him, here I am. I'm available. Private Abraham reporting for duty. He said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abram raised his eyes, saw the place from a distance. Abram said to his young son, stay here, or to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go there and we will worship and we will return to you. So he starts walking toward Mount Moriah. He's got his son, and if you, it, you, we won't read about it, but his son says, hey, hey Dad, uh, I see the wood for the fire. I see how to start the fire, but where's the lamb? 
Don't you know that pierced his heart? He said, the Lord will provide the lamb, my son. And by the time they get there, Isaac realizes he's the lamb. He binds his son, puts him on that altar. He's got the knife up in the air. He said, how cruel God is. No, wait a minute. Let me read the rest of the story. Genesis 22, verse 10, Abram stretched out his hand, took his knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am, private Abraham reporting for duty. He said, don't stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear, you revere God. You count God as holy since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. God didn't want Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, but he didn't want Isaac to be an idol in his life. He wanted him to love God so much that he loved him more than anything, even his children. Do you love God more than you love your family? You need to. Is your family an idol? Do you love God more than your business? You need to. Is your business an idol? Do you love God more than anything? God's friends are obedient. Jesus said in John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him. I will disclose. I will manifest myself to him. All people, God doesn't respond to everybody the same God blesses people who obey him more than he does people who disobey him. So I don't know whether I like that or not. You don't get to vote on it. God says, you obey me, I'll bless you. You disobey me, I'll discipline you. God, God wants people to obey him. Number nine, God's friends are blessed. I don't know about you, but if I'd been Isaac laying on that altar and that lamb showed up, I'd have been singing the hallelujah chorus. Amen? Listen to this. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. I think he was saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And Abram went and took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abram, that's, by the way, there is substitutionary atonement in the Old Testament. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, say that with me. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. As it was said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. He said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son indeed, I will greatly bless you. Now blessing goes to greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the altars of heaven and the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. The Bible says in Genesis 24, verse 1, Now Abram was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. God loves to bless his children, and he blesses those who obey him. Do you want blessing? Obey the Lord. Do you want curses? Disobey the Lord. The choice is yours. God's friends who obey him are blessed. And there's one more thing I'm going to give you. And that is God's friends are heaven bound. At long last, 
After 175 years, Abraham died. And when he died, he didn't die. When he stopped living on earth, he didn't stop living. When you die, you're not going to die. You're going to keep on living. You'll be in heaven or hell based on what you did with Jesus during this lifetime. Abraham didn't die. He just transferred. <laughs> and we know where because of Genesis 25, verses 7 and 8. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last. Look at me. There's going to come a day when you breathe your last. Last breath. And he died a ripe old age. An old man satisfied with life. But that's not all. Look at this last phrase. And he was gathered to his people. Now, wait a minute. What are you talking about? He's leaving his people. He's leaving Isaac. He's leaving all these other people. What are you talking about? He was gathered to his people. He had more people in heaven than he did on earth. And he went there to be with them. He died in the Lord. Blessed are they who die in the Lord. He went straight to heaven. Do you remember the thief on the cross? Jesus said to him in Luke 23, he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. I know you can't work for your salvation because that guy was nailed to a cross. He couldn't do anything except cry out to God. His works couldn't do anything. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't work. Oh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The sorriest sinner's prayer you'll ever hear, but God was looking at his heart, not just listening to his words. And he said to him, truly I say to you, say the word with me right there, right after that. What does it say? Today. Today. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. You're going to leave this cross and you're going to get a crown. I can just see Jesus walking in with that guy, can't you? Hey, look over here. Yeah, I made that over there. Yeah, look over here. And that guy's saying, Shazam. I didn't just cuss. Somebody that watched Gomer Pyle, tell them what I meant, all right? Can you imagine that guy? Did he get a deal or what? These people say, you can't get saved unless you do this. I, you know what? Sure don't have to be baptized to get saved. He didn't get baptized before he went to heaven. No, you just got to repent of your sins. God is not just listening to this. He's looking at this. He sees your heart. And if you want to repent today, God can save you. And you can go to heaven. He was absent from the body. Present with the Lord. Heaven bound. God's foes are hell-bound. God's friends are heaven-bound. So, I'm thinking, as I'm riding toward Cracker Barrel, I don't have as many friends as I used to have. But then in my soul, the Lord spoke to me and said, you may not have as many 
buddies. But I'm your dearest friend. I'm closer to you than Donna. I'm closer to you than your children. I'm closer to you than anybody you know. I am your forever friend. And Brother Drew, peace came over me. And I knew I had a word from God. I don't know how many friends you have on this earth. But I pray that you're a friend of God. I pray that you have seen yourself in your sin and it upsets you enough that you said, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to live for myself. I repent. I turn to the Lord. And Jesus, I believe that what you did on the cross is sufficient to forgive my sins. Your shed blood can wash all my sins away. And Lord, I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe you're alive. And I just receive you. Come into my life. I call on your name. Save me. Have you really done that? Have you really broken over your sin? Have you asked God to forgive you? Have you received Jesus? Are you a friend of God? And even if you've been saved, are you pressing in toward the Lord? It's not easy sometimes. There are days I wake up Shockeroo, I don't feel like reading my Bible. I said, Lord, I've read that thing a whole lot. He said, yeah, yeah, you have. You needed a lot more too. <laughs> Lord, I've prayed, yeah, you, but you need more. Do you need more breath today to live? Yes, sir, I do. Then you need more. Do you need more food? No, I could miss a day or two on that, Lord. Yeah, but could you go on forever? No, I got to have some food. Well, you need me more than you need the next breath you breathe, more than you need the food that you eat. You need me, and I want to be your friend. I'm going to love you like nobody loves you. I'm going to be your friend. Don't you want a friend like that? You can have him. Greatest friend in the world closer than anybody else in the whole world. Can you say, I am a friend of God?